Hello everyone! Welcome to the 8th episode of Kumusta Kumare, the monthly podcast of Napisefer Sama Sama Project Philippine Team. Hi, my name is Rochelle, a member of Napisef Philippine Team and currently engaged in research about the sex trade and tourism here in Angeles City. And hi, I'm Emma. I'm also with Napisab Philippines, focusing my work on women workers in the south of Luzon. And I'm Mira Yusuf, the Napisab USA staff. A uh, quick information about Napisab or the National Asian and Pacific Islander Ending Sexual Violence. We are a U.S.-based organization and our mission is to end sexual violence in the Asian and Pacific Islander communities and also to build healthy communities through transformative justice and social change. In 2019, we started the Bersama Sama project in the Philippines, Indonesia, and Guam in order for immigrant, refugee, settler communities from Asia and the Pacific to connect to their home countries. By building this relationship, communities will be able to both reconnect with traditional cultural practices and share movement-building strategies. Kumusta Kumare is Bersama Sama Philippines team podcast and a way for our team to discuss issues facing women and girls in the Philippines. This episode is a continuation of our discussion on the sex trade in the Philippines. Last episode, we provided an introduction about the role of the United States occupation or militarization on the sex trade in the Philippines. Our in-house historian, Emma, provided a connection between the U.S. occupation and the sex trade. For this episode, we will discuss sexual objectification and hypersexuality of Asian women, its connection to U.S. occupation and the sex trade, and to the work of Monsoon Asians and Pacific Islanders in Solidarity that is based in Iowa. And also for this episode, we welcome Lata Di Mello, who is the Monsoon's Director of Programs and Outreach, who is based in Iowa City, Iowa, who will join our conversation today. So welcome, Lata. Hi, everybody. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really pleased to be here. Hi, Lata. We're so happy to have you and to have this conversation with you. Hello, Lata. Yes, we are so excited to have you join us in this conversation. So let's begin with you telling us about Monsoon's work in Iowa. Oh, thank you. So Monsoon is an organization that serves victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, human trafficking, and gender-related homicide in the Asian and Pacific Islander communities in Iowa. The nonprofit has been around since 2003, got nonprofit status in 2007, and has been operating since then. In fact, Mira Yusuf, who was one of the co-founders, is the current executive director of Monsoon. Our work has sort of progressed from doing direct services to community outreach and education. We have a youth violence prevention program. We have campus advocacy program. Our Our community outreach and education is now expanding to more community organizing. We also have a space, a healing space 
for for support groups for a, with a community garden and there have been several events held there and we of course under napi save provide uh, technical assistance and training and even our programs have sort of even subdivided into various uh, projects that's very interesting lata um based on uh, our conversation with mira she told us that monsoon has worked with filipinas in iowa can you um tell us more about it which part of the philippines are they from what age and are they from um, poor provinces what are they uh, like? they are a mixed group of filipinos who i have been assisting actually there has been one filipino male as well but the filipinas in general have been from various provinces from what i remember you know from the visayas I think one was Cebu, one was Cagayan, Iloco, Gensan, people from various backgrounds. A majority of them are from families where they were struggling to take care of the family and the woman became a source of of their income and over the years when they decided to get married and leave uh, for the United States. Um the ages have been also wide ranging but generally from their 30s to their 70s so some of them are kind of closer to their age and some of them are a lot older so there's no particular age group that they would marry into it has varied and in one case and that has been a really really upsetting and difficult case to farm on soon where the woman ended up meeting her biological father after years years from the time she was an infant really and ended up having a relationship with the father the father was white man who had met her mother in the philippines as a military uh, worker when she was young had a relationship with the mother before he left and i'm not sure whether he was aware he had a daughter at that time So it was complicated it was heartbreaking because of uh, even the uh, victim we were assisting had uh, mental health problems as well Since you've been working with victims and survivors from the Asian community and maybe specifically uh, Filipinas, can you kind of like tell us, uh, specifically Rochelle and Emma, about what does this stereotype about Asian women as being hypersexual or being sexually objectified manifest in the violence, and how how do you see it in the work that we do? So of course, this is all my experiences with the Filipino community and. Filipinas is specifically in Iowa. I have noticed that Filipinos on the west coast of the United States and the east coast who come from big cities there's a different ethos, different presentation of themselves, different thought processes, different ways of working. So the women that I have worked with have come to the United States most of them as wives or fiancés and then wives of American men and uh, they tend to be again I'm generalizing uh, but they tend to follow whatever the male expects them to be so politically 
socially. So they will be isolated in a sense within a certain community, mostly white. Their attitude and their behavior towards other people who are not in those spaces would be like, oh, I have achieved something that you have not. I also I've met Filipinas and the same ones who do that, who privately express different emotions, who've looked for those times when they can interact and get together with other Filipinos. And that's a space where they can be a little bit free, even if their men folk are around them. There is a difference with how, especially those who can speak the language that their partners are unaware of so that they can share, have certain exchanges that are a lot more what they would probably be at home with. So there are ways that they have been able to get out of that kind of false creations that they made for themselves, that they become the trophy wives of sorts, uh, trophy partners and girlfriends of white men. Again, the ones who end up being victimized are also women who have given their trust and their everything to the male, their partner. And also what I do really respect and love is the fact that whatever income they get from their partners or if they've started working, there's lots of money sent back home because there's a um, uh, love for family and um, po possibly children back home that they will be sending money to. I have currently, I'm working with one who is trying to get her adult son here and has so much, has done so much to bring him here. But also she has an elderly mother whom she sends money to, even when she is unemployed. She has, you know, saved her stimulus money, everything, been able to send that back. So there's a, a kind of image I have of Filipinas here that's contradictory in many ways. But also I can see, understand where it's coming from, because there is that whole uh, notion of you come to the U.S. and your life is made. And it's not. And it's very heartbreaking for some of them to recognize that, but also not to openly say, I screwed up or I should not have done it. You mentioned there is no specific type or age, but without wanting to generalize or stereotype, is there like a common type of men that they marry? I mean, I understand that when the Americans were here, many of them married to Filipino women who are probably there already. But even to this day, I believe in 2017, 25% of foreign uh, marriages among the Filipinas were with the Americans. So this is recent, right? So yes. they are still the top preferred foreign husbands of Filipino women. So is there like a, a particular type of men? You know, uh, many are saying that Filipinas would marry American men because they are quote unquote gold diggers. You you know, they're not doing it for love, they're doing it for money. I mean, is it true that uh, all the American men that uh, these Filipinas marry are rich? No, they're not. Unfortunately, they do present themselves as wealthy. Uh, you know, earlier I mentioned about the males who, from the military who marry the women. Those have been in the past. 
the more recent ones have been men from various uh, various uh, positions in life so a lot of them are retirees are living on social security their income a lot also do not own their own homes are still living in rented spaces and some of them have done well for themselves the idea of seeing them as gold diggers is very interesting become the american uh, male point of view or from an american point of view what the women see is an opportunity to uh, improve their uh, life conditions but also to see it romantically as something that would change their lives for the better in a uh, through an emotional connection every time i've talked to uh, them or you know they do talk about how much they did love the person who ended up abusing them who caused them so much harm the part about taking care of the husband was important so you know see being seen as gold diggers where i think that had caused them a lot of grief and feelings of being insulted because they felt that they took a lot of care of this person that they married it wasn't someone they married and said give me your money and walked away from those are things i think that the stereotype thing can also be very clever contrived way of controlling not just women but the whole culture so if you define them in that way you can treat them like oh i know all you types are gold diggers so i will treat you in the way i would treat gold diggers because i am the one who holds the purse strings and honestly it's been about maybe 40 60 40 to who be men who have had you know some uh, decent means of living and the other 60 where there's been struggle with their earnings as well i do also want to add that the women when they come here and they also want to get a job so it's not as if they want to be so called you know quote unquote kept women they want to be in a place where they can earn a living have their own income a lot of which they send also back home i want to emphasize that because i think then you see this image of filipino women oh gold diggers as you said quote unquote and married someone just to get away from an awful country so there's so many ways you can also demonize the other not only to the person but to the whole uh, culture and the country uh, so those are things that monsoon works against when we do community outreach and education that's very interesting and i think uh, transnational marriage which is formally called mail order brides is deeply connected to us militarization and occupation in asia and the pacific and the um transnational marriage now uh, is very much different from the transnational marriages that occurred during the time of the early filipinos who went to the us during the time of uh, carlos bolosan and uh, larry itliong and all those uh, folks it's very different right. so you see we were colonized by the us in 1901 so that's more than a century now and ever since they colonized the country they established US bases here in the Philippines 
then in some parts of Asia like Japan, South Korea, of course, it's deeply rooted in in U.S. militarization and the Asia and Asia Pacific. If there's a military base, there will always be a facility for the rest and recreation of servicemen. So that's how they find Filipinas or Asian women that they find suitable to make their wives because they have this notion that Asian women are, aside from being called exotic, they are subservient, they are obedient, they are caring. Is also they married Filipinas because most if not all Filipinas speak English and are familiar with American culture. So there is less problems of communication that they have with some of the other women from other countries, immigrant women that they have married, where I've had victims who have communicated with an iPad and Google Translate with their partners. It has been that confusing and frightening for them when there's been difficulty then uh, having those communications. But they are all eager to fall in love, to get married or to get married, fall in love and live happily ever after. So yeah, we speak the language and they have this stereotype that if you're Asian, you are subservient. You obey first to your father. You submit yourself to the male authorities. I think that's one of the reasons why foreign men, they look for Asian women or Filipino women to be their wives. Currently in the U.S., there is this anti-Asian sentiment. So I was discussing anti-Asian sentiment and also about anti-Blackness in the Asian community with my child. And she stated that xenophobia of Americans, considering white Americans commit acts of violence against Asians in less public ways. So, for example, domestic violence of their immigrant wives. So, So the question that I have then is, is domestic violence and sexual violence towards Asian women, and in particular Filipino women, an act of anti-Asian at the same time that it's anti-woman. So Lata, what's your perspective on that? Yes, and I agree with you, Mira. The, the, it is domestic and sexual violence uh, a, towards Asian women. And when we are talking in this case to, towards uh, Filipina women, it is anti-Asian and it is the same time anti-woman. I think we forget about it as being Asian and woman that way, like separate entities, but also connected because we look at gender-based violence as a whole, as you know, all over the world. But but when we have to specify when it comes down to forms of gender-based violence and in particular with cultures that are mixed in the United States, if there is an anti-Asian sentiment and attacks that are ongoing now uh, and have been since COVID-19 or have come into the public eye, we forget that we have been doing this work for a long time and gender-based violence has existed since human beings have existed. But we've also be unlikely to look into uh, what exactly that monsoon does that is related to anti-Asian and anti-women at the same time. So yes, gender-based violence is any of this, these kind of uh, acts of anti-Asian attacks, which now are directed to older Asians, uh, are also part of that whole idea of not just Asian 
you know, as Asians, as a community, but also Asians as women connected to what we are discussing and what Mira, your daughter, said about that whole xenophobia of Americans uh, committing acts of violence against Asians in less public ways is true in the home, in a domestic sphere that we are not acknowledging in a general uh, way on a daily basis. Yeah. When I was still working with migrant workers, there was this one researcher from Canada and her research is about women, Filipino migrant women, the exploitation that they suffer working for foreign employers abroad. Her study showed that violence and exploitation among domestic workers who are most often than not are women. It's very common abroad. Um, but what makes it worse is if you're Asian. Because I would say that if, if here in your country you're not being treated right, then how would you expect other people that you work for to treat you right also? Most of the employers, they say that, well, you, you can file complaint, but even your government would not help you. Apart from being a woman, it also is connected with you being uh, Asian. It's like you're the most perfect victim. You're a woman and then you're from Asia or the Asian domestic violence and uh, uh, sexual assault and we were talking about monsoon working with victims from the Philippines or from the Filipino culture, uh, how we do not see it in that way when we are looking at gender-based violence as a whole, but that's what we need to do. Uh, what, what ends up happening, what we've seen is that the women who marry the American men here who are mostly conservative political views who actually come here probably being unaware of their conservative views by which time they are married whether they agree or not with the political views of their husbands because they are so devoted they will most of the time also support publicly and privately their views once they get out of a violent relationship, there's less of that or there's actually a different viewpoint. Again, I'm generalizing, but the women I have worked with, the majority of their partners, the husbands have conservative viewpoints. And it's probably also in some ways connected to how the U.S. military had occupied and how it was in the Philippines also with the leaders who had conservative intentions to run the country to colonize uh, the Philippines. Historically, uh, the American colonizers have always presented themselves as uh, the liberators. They brought civilization, they brought modernization to the Philippines. They saw it as their duty to colonize the Philippines, to save the Philippines and the Filipinos, the natives, from savagery. In the micro level, that also happens on transnational uh, marriages between uh, Filipino women and American men. So even though ever since the Americans came, what they did, yes, they, they brought modernization, but they pillaged, they murdered, they plundered, they raped the, our country. And, but still, they are presenting themselves as the, the saviors. 
if you look at it, that's also how these American men presented themselves to uh, the Filipino women. And of course, when we talk about culture, you cannot change it overnight, the way of thinking. If the husbands or if the American men presented themselves as the saviors or some of these Filipino women, they see it as they, they owe something from their American husbands. So even though they know that something is fundamentally wrong, something is not right, something does not uh, agree with their sense of right and wrong, they would agree until something drastic happens. I think it is not only with uh, transnational marriages. We should also look into the history of, of the Philippines with the American colonizers. When we look at transnational marriages between um, American men and Filipino women. Uh, we are having a blast with this conversation, but since we're running out of time, maybe just the last few words from Plata. Oh my, thank you so much. It is a very, very exciting conversation because it was going into so many different things that I have considered, but we haven't, you know, explored. So I uh, appreciate everyone's input. It has been a really good conversation that encapsulated a whole lot of ideas which we can I'm sure develop on. I really liked Emma, the connection that you made to how um, American uh, military, the occupation of the Philippines, the savior mentality, this even the transference of that savior mentality now to relationships between American men who have married Filipino women and who end up being uh, harm doers of the Filipino women and how Filipino women also are uh, unaware of uh, these things till it really comes to the fore. So I appreciate uh, all of you inviting me. Uh, I thank you so much for being part of this uh, conversation. I would love to see it or be part of it as you move further into future conversations. Thank you. I, I think this is just the start and I think we will have more conversation. So thank you so much, Lata, for taking some time and having like a morning chat with us and an evening chat in the Philippines. You've been tuning in to our conversation about sexual objectification and hypersexuality of Filipino women, its connection to U.S. occupation and the sex trade in the Philippines, and the Iowa experience of monsoon Asians and Pacific Islanders in solidarity through their director of programs and outreach, Lata DeMello, on this topic. At our next episode, we will talk more about what we all can do, both in the U.S. and in the Philippines, towards ending this historical cycle of sexual violence against Filipinas and other Asians and Pacific Islanders. And so until then, see you at our next episode. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to another episode of Komusta Kumare, a podcast by Natiseps Bersama Sama Project supported by the Nobel Foundation. For more information about this episode and all of our previous episodes, please visit our website at napisev.org. Find us at Napisev on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Don't miss our upcoming episodes by hitting the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts.